Business and Buckets, episode 75, coming at you hot. Like we said, it's March, sweet 16. We still got free agency. We got UFC fights to talk about. We got a loaded show. But before we talk sports, let's talk the one and only sponsor here at Business and Buckets, Fueled Supplements. So, do you guys have trouble sleeping? Do you wake up groggy or not even feeling like you've rested? Do you toss and turn at night? If so, it's time to get knocked out. It's back. The market's leading advanced sleep recovery formula, Knocked Out, is now in stock with the facelift. Two new flavors and an improved ingredient profile. Experience an unreal night's rest with this all-in-one sleep formula. Superior recovery, muscle repair, pain relief, and anti-inflammation. Fall asleep faster, sleep deeper, and wake up feeling more refreshed. Regulate depressive and sedative actions critical for relaxation. Decreases stress and anxiety, manages cortisol and adrenaline reset, increases growth hormone production. Two delicious flavors to suit your taste buds. Watch your sleep improve, mood improve, and productivity improve, and improve your life with Knocked Out. Save some cash when you go to fueledsupplements.com and use my promotion code BUCKETS for 15% off. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. Now, for me, I use I use Knocked Up personally, and it's it's a great tool or a great um, sub or what is it a supplement um, to really give you some of that like deeper REM sleep. I've definitely had some kind of <clears throat> crazy uh, uh, like dreams and nightmares because you could tell you get thrown into that deep sleep, and for me that's important. You know, I do a little nighttime routine, little stretch, hydrate, take the Knocked Up, and I feel so much better. Um, I need to have more of a consistent schedule to utilize that to, to really reap the rewards, but knocked out's definitely a supplement from my guys at field supplements that I'll, I'll keep buying, keep doing, uh, it makes me just feel a lot better and puts me into a different kind of sleep zone than if I'm not taking it. But once again, if you're walking into GNC, you're walking into these big supplement companies, support small business, local business. We got to help each other out, especially in the world that we're in today. Go to fieldsupplements.com. But we're going to talk football. We have gone over the past couple episodes, so many moves. You would think that things were starting to get towards the end, but there's still some big free agents out there. There's still been some signings this past week and a blockbuster of a move that happened this morning. Uh, It's Wednesday, the 23rd, and I cannot believe what I was seeing. And we'll get into that here in a second. So, the Bengals short up their offensive line. You think, oh, they're, they're probably maybe draft a guy there. They'll be able to, to move on. But once the Cowboys cut Lyle Collins, the Bengals had a plan. They signed Lyle Collins. Now, uh, like Lyle said, you got a personal bodyguard for Joe Burrow, and that offense just gets even more deadly. Uh, it's going to be wild to see the level of competition in the AFC this year. They also released Trey Waynes, you know, getting getting those paychecks up. They got a, they had to cut some space somewhere. Um, so Trey Waynes, a guy that's been dealing with injuries, uh, they they let him go and um, give all the money to Mister Collins. So Keanu knew Keanu Neal switching from linebacker to safety. Um, he's a guy that's going to be you know potentially coveted around the league. He had a very high performing year as a safety. 
Um, for me as a Steelers fan, it's an intriguing idea seeing him as a safety now instead of linebacker. I'm sure he'll find some suitors as free agency winds up. I don't know how many more premier signings we'll have until after the draft. A lot of these guys are older guys that'll probably wait. You know, teams will wait till after the draft. Uh, but Keanu Neal, definitely going to be a prospect. The Cowboys re-signed J. Ron Curse to a two-year $11 million deal. Um, the Bills ended up cutting Cole Beasley, you know, all the vaccination issues and things last year regardless. Well, they get a uh, great slot receiving uh, slot receiver, Jamison Crowder, to a one-year deal. I think this is an awesome move. I've really been a fan of Jamison Crowder. And if we look at it, he is only 28 years old. He's not even 30 years old yet. Uh, so huge, huge signing, in my opinion, for the Bills. Uh, the Seahawks re-signed Rashad Penny to a one-year $5.75 million deal. Um, you know, <laughs> kind of sought, thought as a bust of a first-round draft pick. They got him in the late first round a few years ago. Uh, really had it develop, battled injuries for a few years. And then all of a sudden snaps off the second half of last year. So who knows? Maybe that was all it needed to take. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if he can carve out some time and be an actual starter in the NFL. Uh, a guy that left the Seahawks, Gerald Everett, signing with the Chargers, two-year, $12 million. I'm sure Justin Herbert's going to like that big body going uh, down the seam and down the middle. Uh, so good signing there by the Chargers on a pretty pretty team-friendly deal. <clears throat> the Panthers signed linebacker Corey Littleton. Uh, Giants signed Matt Breida, a guy that's been on a few different teams. The Giants acquire him. The Colts finally find their man at quarterback, and it's not, you know, this young gun, not this young stud. I believe this is the sixth year in a row with a new quarterback. Well, the Col Colts acquire Matt Ryan from the Falcons for a third-round pick, and the Falcons take a $40 million dead cap hit, which is the biggest in NFL history. Um, so the Falcons are willing to, to, you know, start over a little bit per se, and the Colts get another year stopgap from Matt Ryan, maybe two years before they get to go on to the QB search again. Um, but they were able to get those picks in return of Wentz, right? They were able to take that money. The Falcons take their money. So with at the end of the day, they got some picks. They get Matt Ryan and got rid of Carson Wentz. That could be a win for them. The Falcons signed Lorenzo Carter to a one-year. And, you know, with Arthur Smith having ties with Marcus Mariota, uh, they signed Mike Marcus Mariota as their guy to a two-year deal. Um, so it seems like a lot of teams are filling that quarterback void. We still have Baker Mayfield available. We still have the Steelers. We still have the Panthers potentially hunting for quarterbacks, uh, the Seahawks. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, speaking of quarterbacks, Jameis Winston returning to the Saints on a two-year $28 million deal with $21 million guaranteed. Uh, I'm not too surprised by this, especially with all the shit the Saints have had to deal with the offseason. It's probably like, hey, let's just sign Jameis, give him another chance, uh, you know, <laughs> just keep pushing forward and get out of the rut that we're in here. A move I like by the Bills as well, signing Duke Johnson, the versatile running back. You know, he's been on a few different teams as well. His better day is probably coming in Cleveland, uh, but he gets to be a part of a dynamic offense in Buffalo. The Ravens re-signed Patrick Ricard to a three-year deal. You know they love their uh, some Patrick Ricard coming up the middle. Uh, uh, power fullback, so I'm not too surprised that, that he's staying there. The Patriots re-signed Trent Brown to a two-year deal. 
I'm not surprised about this with all the big free agents that have, have already been signed on the on alignment front. They had to keep somebody. They got to keep their young quarterback upright. The Eagles signed ex-Colt receiver Zach Paschal to a one-year deal. You know, they're a wide receiver needy team. And Zach Paschal was a guy who had, you know, has the speed, you know, was definitely pretty hyped up uh, at one point, never really translated. But the Eagles are going to give him new life as the Eagles could use, you know, any kind of uh, receiving performance, uh, high-level quality performance. So it'll be interesting to see how that relationship pans out. The Bucks signed Leonard Fournette to a three-year, $21 million deal. Um, supposedly, Leonard Fournette took a couple visits, but he's staying in Tampa with Tom Brady. The Vikings signing Zadarius Smith to a three-year, $42 million deal, a team that usually is defense first, getting a big-time um, free agent. Uh, it's definitely going to be a move that hurts the Packers losing Zadarius Smith. The Raiders signed Demarcus Robinson, ex-Chiefs receiver, the Packers get Jaron Reed for defensive front. The Dolphins go big with one of the best free agents uh, from the offensive line standpoint, signing Teron Armstead to a five-year, $75 million deal. And the Dolphins weren't done. Uh, Tyreek Hill and the Chiefs could not really get close to a long-term agreement. So the Chiefs trade Tyreek Hill this morning to the Dolphins for this year's first, second, fourth-round pick. Next year's fourth and sixth round pick as well. And then signs a four-year, $120 million extension, which to me is a huge win for the Chiefs. I'm not trying to discredit Tyree Kill. He is an, uh, a dynamic wide receiver. They He's 28 years old, just turned 28 March 1st. So they have him signed till 32, which isn't very old for a receiver. But a guy that, that, that lives off 4-2 speed, a guy that had probably his prime years already in Kansas City to demand that kind of money. Well, the Chiefs get all these picks. There's a lot of speedster receivers, not saying that they're going to be Tyree Kill, but a lot of these young receivers have translated well into the NFL. So they could get a couple guys that could potentially fill some other spots of need with this haul that they're getting from Miami. Um, so I like it from the Chiefs standpoint. You know, the Dolphins, they're just trying to compete. The, the AFC is stacked, and you really got to have a stacked lineup to compete. So I feel like this was just kind of a desperation move. Hey, he's available. We need to do something. This seems like a great move. But you add Tyree Kill to an already pretty good receiving core. Jalen Waddell, Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, Cedric Wilson, who was newly assigned. Uh, that's going to be a, a dynamic offense. You, you now have um, Mike Gusecki, who they had franchised. You have... Um, a better offensive line, adding Teron Armstead, uh, already a pretty solid defense in place. You know, borderline running backs with uh, Moster and Edmonds, guys who are always battling injuries. Uh, but Tua's got all the pieces. You know, there's no more excuses. Tua's got to show out, and I believe he will. But God damn, look at the speed this team has. Jalen Waddle, Tyree Kill, are you kidding me? Um, you know, I haven't even thought really of like power rankings, but this damn near has to put them at the top of that 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 division. Uh, you know, the Bills are there, the Patriots, pretty solid team. Uh, but I like the moves that the Dolphins are made. They're trying. Is it very good long term moves? Probably not. But when the Dolphins, a franchise that struggled to win for so long, you get an opportunity to sign a guy like Tyreek Hill. He'll sell tickets. He adds more speed to your offense, which is already pretty quick, and uh, allows you to compete in that division. Just 
banger moves happening in free agency. Um, Al Michaels headed to Amazon for Thursday night football broadcast on a $75 million deal. So we have the Thursday night football crew, Kirk Herbstreet, Al Michaels on Amazon, Thursday night football. You got to be kidding me. Some wild shit that's happening here um, in the NFL. And uh, not only has it been a wild free agency for the stars, but also the analysts that have, have uh, been a part of this as well. Um, the USFL, as I had talked about in the last pod, kicking off, now has inserted some new rule changes that you know the NFL can take a, you know take a, a good glance at and potentially adopt in the future. Uh, one being a three-point conversion opportunity after a touchdown. I believe it's like from 20 yards out or fourth and 12 from the 20 or some crazy thing. Uh, they have new overtime rules uh, where every team gets an opportunity um, from a short-term distance. And then if they both get it on three tries, it goes to um, a regular like NFL overtime rule. They also have an onside kick alternative. They have a lot of, I think you got to go from it fourth and 12 from the 20. If you get a first down, I don't know. They, they got some interesting rules. It'll be interesting to see. You, like I said, I'm not going to be a huge USFL fan. I've never really enjoyed a lot of the external promotions unless I have big-name players. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how these these things change up the game. Uh, maybe some ways to spice up the NFL in the future here. But before we talk UFC, we're going to talk about the best free agents remaining. Um, as I mentioned, you know, a lot of these guys will probably be on the shelf for a while till after the draft. Uh, but some guys at the top of the list you wouldn't expect to be in the shelf very long. Guys like the Honey Badger. Tyron Matthew is the sixth-ranked free agent, according to NFL.com, still available. Um, yeah, he's got to be coveted. I know that there's interest from my Pittsburgh Steelers. That would be a match made in heaven, but he is 30 years old, and he probably is wanting quite a bit of money. OBJ is still available. Stephon Gilmore. You know, OBJ's 29, injury issues. Stephon Gilmore, 31. Dwayne Brown, 37. Bobby Wagner, 32. Supposedly he was visiting the Rams today if they needed more talent. Uh, Jadavion Clowney, 29. Calais Campbell, 36. Melvin Ingram, 33. Gronk, come on, he's going to go to Tampa Bay. We don't even have to talk about that one. Jarvis Landry, 29. Jerry Hughes, 34. Akeem Hicks, 32. Trey Flowers, 29. J.C. Treader, 31. Will Fuller is only 28. Eric Fisher, 31. Julio, 33. Bryce Callahan, 30. So a lot of these other guys are older. Uh, you have Deshaun Elliott, a safety. He's a young guy at 27. Uh, Marquez Val Valdez-Scantling, only 27. He's visiting the Chiefs. I'd imagine he signs with the Chiefs. So there's still some pretty good talent out there. I mean, going all the way down, they go to 100. You got guys like Andy Dalton, Joe Hayden, Riley Reef, Donta Hightower, PJ Williams, Larry Ojanjobi, Kevin King, Patrick Peterson, you know, 32. Ndamukong Sue, 35. Sheldon Richardson, 31. Um, so there is quite a bit of talent. Justin Houston, Melvin Gordon out there. But a lot of these older guys sit until the. a lot of teams want to try to fill those spots with draft picks. They still have some salary cap available, still have some openings. That's where these guys will find a place to fit. Uh, but let's talk UFC, baby. Um how about that UFC London card? We will break it down. But Dana White loved it so much in the O2 arena, the vibe, just the, the emotions going on. 
And, you know, I think it's a little biased that the, the, the card was stacked towards the London fighters, in my opinion. Um, but he gave every fighter who had a finish a $50,000 bonus on that card. You love to see it. Would love to see more of it. Um, never going to disagree with more pay for the fighters. Divison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno, the fourth bout official. I figured they'd give Divison a different opponent, but, uh, you know, been so good. Why not run it one more time? This should be the last time that this happens, uh, but it's one of the more intriguing fights in the flyweight division. Uh, Dana White obviously sees the numbers, does not promote the flyweight division very much. Um, so this is the best case scenario, probably for ratings and pay-per-view sales. Uh, it's going to happen on International Fight Week, which should be my 30th celebration with, with some of my good friends. Uh, so I'm all for it. Um, you know, ideally just, you know, have this come to an end. I thought Brandon would win the last one and have it come to an end, but that wasn't the case. Now he switches gyms. Like there's always some sort of drama between these cats. And, uh, when I had started the year talking on MMA, I, I, I went through each division and who would be the title holder. And I had Brandon Moreno in the flyweight class. So at least this gives my, me a chance as your analyst to, to, to be valid on, on what I what I assumed would happen throughout the year. Uh, Ryan Spann versus Jan Kutalaba rebooked. That's going to be a banger. That'll be a fun one. And uh, another banger for sure. We have Santiago Ponzanibio versus Michelle Pieta. Um, the crazy unorthodox style of Pieta. The power, the prowess of Santiago. That's going to be must-see TV. Um, not fully official yet, but Tim Elliott versus Amir Albazi. Tim Elliott off, off a good win, looking to turn things around really quick here. Um, no books, uh, no more fights booked, but some other news around the fighting world. Ex-fighter Chell Sonnen facing 11 battery charges after that incident. Um, so, you know, ESPN said he'll no longer be a part of broadcast for a while until things get shaken out. Uh, but you'd figure something would happen uh, with this situation. Jorge Masvidal and Colby Covington. The drama's not done. They get into it at a Miami restaurant. Jorge is charged with some sort of charges. Um, but basically, uh, Jorge or Colby was at this nice steakhouse with the um, Full Send podcast doing an interview. Someone had posted it. Jorge and his, you know, Miami buff buffoons, the Dade County buffoons, came in there. Supposedly, Jorge sucker punched him, hit him. Knocked out a tooth. You know, Colby didn't retaliate as, as he shouldn't have. Um, pretty, you know, shameless move, in my opinion, by Jorge. You know, you had 25 minutes in the octagon to beat this kid's ass. You got to go catch him on the streets and try to beat him up. Um, yeah, Jorge's just got some ego problems. I think that's where a lot of this beef has come from and transpired from it out the gate anyways. Uh, but the drama is going to keep continuing. These two fighters can't leave the drama. Uh, makes kind of some fun storylines for fight fans. I just think it's a bunch of bullshit, and it's like, hey, we're grown-ass men. Get over it. You're in a sport of fighting. You got to fight. Like, wh what are we doing here? Um, this Saturday, uh, one championship card, but happening early in the morning. Uh, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, one of the goats in my opinion, uh, doing a hybrid fight that will be happening at 5 a.m., and then the gentleman, I forget his name, that beat Mighty Mouse in the one championship will be fighting for his title there as well. 
And then uh, the big Usyk-Anthony Joshua fight coming up. Usyk is in Ukraine talking about maybe not having the fight go down. Well, he has decided to leave Ukraine to have that fight. Uh, I'm happy as a fight fan. I don't know if that should be a priority. I don't know what to think. I've never been you know, part of a country where that kind of shit is going down. So um, I don't want to have to you know, put my viewpoint out there. But as a fight fan, I am fucking pumped for that rematch. But let's talk UFC London. I'm on a fucking heater. Woo! I went 9-1 and one in picks this week. I think I was 8-1, 6-2 the week before. Uh, the parlays are rolling. So we're going to talk uh, the recap, and then we're going to set up a parlay for this weekend. I got some dogs coming for you guys. I can't wait. Mixing it with some March Madness. It's going to be fun. So uh, we did not break down the Muhammad Makayev fight. Uh, in his debut, but he got a nice first round submission in his uh, UFC debut, came out, hit a flying knee, was able to finish the the older fighter, um, I think, you know, under a minute, which was one of the faster finishes in flyweight history. So welcome to the UFC, young man. He's already wanting to fight June or July, potentially International Fight Week. Let's stack that card up. That's my 30th birthday. I'm all for it. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what step up in competition he wants to take, um, as he's already calling like top 15, top 10. So we'll see. And how about, uh, meatball Molly McCann with the spinning elbow finish. God damn. That was a thing of beauty. Some people saying one of the best knockouts you could have in a women's division. Um, I've seen some pretty fucking stunning knockouts though, but that was a great one. Everyone was hyped. And again, this just brought the, the UK energy up to a whole nother level before the big dogs. But we're going to talk about the fight that I thought might be fight of the night, uh, which is fucking crazy that it was on the prelims. But we had Jack Shore with the unanimous decision over Timur Valiev. And uh, this was one of the only decisions on the card, but was a great fucking fight, man. Just very evenly fought, 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 fight. And uh, I was very impressed by both fighters. Both fighters had their moments. I thought Tamir definitely won round one. And then Jack Shore brought it on more in round uh, two and three. Uh, I just thought that Jack showed how good his skills are all around. He showed some good combos. He just showed what he's capable of. Um, you know, he is undefeated, has a nice record. Uh, and Tim Moore is no joke, that's for sure. When we look at the stats, Jack landed 87 total strikes and 70 significant strikes with three takedowns and two knockdowns compared to Timor's 75 total and 72 significant with two takedowns and a submission attempt. So Jack undefeated, he stays undefeated. Five of these uh, fights have been in the UFC. Timor starts a new losing streak and is 2-1-1 one one in the UFC. So what's next? Well, I could see Jack taking on someone like Ricky Simone or Song Yadong, which would be bangers, uh, but it would be a ton of fun. Tamor, he has bangers in his future as well. I could see somebody like Casey Kenny or Brian Boom Kelleher. There's not a lack of fights in this division at all, but I'm super pumped to see what Jack Shore continues to do. Oh. And then the, one of the underdogs that I, I got that scared the shit out of me in my parlay, uh, Paul Craig with the first round submission over Nikita Krylov. Mr. Craig does it again, though. After getting takedown, getting big sh shots landed on him, he finds a way to sink that triangle choke in to get the finish. 
Uh, statistically, Paul landed 11 total and two significant strikes with the takedown and a submission attempt compared to Nikita's 30 total and 19 significant with the takedown. Now, Paul has won five of six with the draw against Shogun that he avenged. We talked about this in the preview. Uh, but he now moves up three spots to number eight in the rankings on his way to a title run. And he hasn't lost since June of 2019. While Nikita has lost two in a row and three of his last four. And he drops two spots in the rankings to number 11. So what's next? I could see Paul Craig taking on someone like Dustin Jacoby, who's really hot right now. Or maybe waiting a while to let some things shake up. He said he wasn't in a hurry to turn it around on the MMA hour. Um, and then, uh, I could see Nikita taking on someone like, uh, Jimmy Crute or something like that. And then we had this young stud, the fucking big heavy hands, Sergey Pavlovich with the first round TKO over Shamil Abdurakimov. And the finishing train continued as Sergey landed some monstrous shots. Um, it didn't last long. He, you know, he was going in there for the kill, and and he got the, the the strikes that he wanted to get this fight done early. And uh, obviously, with all the finishes on these cards, you could probably, you know, the fighters know this. They hear the energy out there, just gets them that much more hyped up. Um, Sergey landed twenty two total and twenty one significant strikes with a knockdown, compared to Shamil's seventeen total and significant strikes. Now Sergey has won three in a row. And moves into the rankings at number 11. While Shamil takes his third loss in a row. And drops two spots to number 12. He hasn't won since April of 2019. So for next for uh, Pavlovich. I can see him taking on another Sergey. And Sergey Spivak. Or maybe Alexander Romanov. And for Shamil. I think Augusto Sakai would be great. Either way excited to see what's next for Pavlovich. And that's all in the in the fucking prelims. Moving into the main card, we had Aliyah Topiria with a second round knockout over uh, Jai Herbert. You know, Ilya and Patty's front uh, confrontation overshadowed this fight for sure. But Herbert started using his length, and he was looking really good versus Aliyah early. He landed that nasty combo though. This big, huge combo with the liver shot. It brought Jai down, opened it up for the finish. And Aaliyah, like he is, has done his whole career, got the finish, got the crowd going. Statistically, Aaliyah landed 31 total and 20 significant strikes with a takedown and a knockdown compared to Jai's 50 total and 22 significant strikes and a knockdown. Now, Aaliyah stays undefeated with four of them coming in the UFC. Jai starts a new losing streak and he has lost three of his last four. Now, for Tapiria, I could see a fancy matchup versus Demir Ismugalov or Armin Sukarian, who just fought recently as well. And for Jai, I could see him taking on someone like Fair Ziam or Leonardo Santos. But Aliyah and the Patty, if they want to actually make that happen, the, the, you know, the, the storylines are there. But I don't think they rush Patty up to somebody like Aliyah, especially when it uh, was announced that uh, Patty's only making 12 and 12. So we'll see what happens, uh, but I would assume that they they kind of slow play that that matchup. Now it was great seeing Gunnar Nelson back in the octagon. 
Um, getting some minutes in there as well, going a full fight with the unanimous decision over Takashi Sato. And this one was very lopsided, but Sato showed his toughness. Gunner landed 140 total and 44 significant strikes with three takedowns and a submission attempt compared to Takashi's 16 total and nine significant strikes. Now, Gunner starts a new winning streak and gets his first win since December of 2018. Takashi takes his second loss in a row and has lost three of his last four. Now, for Gunner, I would like to see maybe Nico Price or Tim, Tim Means. And for Takashi, I could see him taking on someone like Bono Saint-Denis or Keenan Song. And then the, the, the guy that's so hyped that I don't quite understand, the bowl cut Patty, the baddie Pimblet with the first round submission over Kazula Vargas. And I thought this would be a close fight. Well, Patty definitely had some adversity in this one. And then he somehow landed up this nice judo toss, fucking threw Kazula down to the mat. You could see the crowd go wild. He ended up getting the finish. Uh, Kazula statistically landed 16 total and seven significant strikes. Compared to Batty's five total and three significant strikes, he also had that takedown and a submission attempt. Now, Patty's on a four-fight winning streak, only two of those in the UFC, while Kazula starts a new losing streak and has dropped three of his last four fights. So for Patty, I would love to see someone like Mike Davis or Jalen Turner, and I would assume the UFC slow plays him in a very deep lightweight class, kind of like the Sean O'Malley situation, what they did with Conor McGregor. For Kazula, how about Nicholas Moda or Euros Medic? Either way, uh, it'll be interesting to see the future of Patty as he's so fucking hyped up in the media. And then this fight, man. Arnold Allen with the first round TKO over Dan Hooker. This is the fight that I got wrong. And I knew this fight would be a fucking banger. I knew it would deliver. But I didn't think they would just fucking go nuts once the bell sounded. And that's exactly what happened. The beginning of the fight, Arnold Allen came in with some heat. Uh, he had Dan rocked early. Dan seemed to like recompose himself, throw a couple, but Arnold just kept going. He's like, I want this fucking finish. And the arena went berserk. With Dan moving down in this new weight class, obviously it didn't go to the way he planned. But it's like, you've literally been on murderer's row of opponents. What the hell is, you know, do you stay in the class? Do you go back up? Uh, it's just a brutal, brutal stretch for Mr. Hooker. And he's been away from his family. He said he hadn't seen his family in like over a year because all the COVID visa issues with, with Australia and everything else. So I just wish the best for the man. Uh, but, you know, props to Mr. Arnold Allen. Uh, fucking kicking ass with the huge knockout. Statistically, Arnold landed 50 total and 49 significant strikes compared to Dan's 14 total and significant strikes. Arnold's now on an 11 fight winning streak with nine of them in the UFC and he moves up one spot to number six. Dan takes his second loss in a row and he's lost four of his last five, but against the best of the best and drops five spots to number 13 in the lightweight class. So what's next? Well, for Arnold Allen, he, he called out Calvin Cater, which is a possibility. But I could definitely see him taking on Mr. Fucking Clean. That's my nickname. My friend gave him that nickname. Josh Emmett, who's, who's back and looking good. Those would be some electric fights. 
And, um, you know, if Dan Hooker stays in this this weight class, how about Edson Barboza or Andre Feely? Either way, you get put Arnold and Dan Hooker in, in a matchup, you got to tune in. And then for the main event, you know, London gets what they want. Uh, Tom Aspinall with the first round submission over Alexander Volkov. And much like the Arnold Allen fight, I knew this would be a banger, but I didn't think it would go 0 to 100 so fast with so much action so early. Um, I think the craziness of the arena was contagious throughout the night. The fighters wanted to show out all the energy, all the knockouts. They had to keep up leveling. And these guys don't get paid a ton. You need a fight night bonus. It's like, damn, I have to outdo all these other guys. And that's why Dana White just said, everyone with the finish, 50 Gs. So statistically, it only took Tom 35 total and 29 significant strikes with two takedowns and a submission attempt. And for Alexander, he landed 13 total and significant strikes. Tom is now on an eight-fight winning streak with five of them in the UFC. He moves up five spots to number six. And Volkov starts a new losing streak. He's one and two in his last three fights and drops one spot to number seven. So what's next? For Tom, the callout has been tied to Avasa, which would be bonkers. If not, then maybe Derek Lewis. Um, for Volkov, I could see a rematch with Derek Lewis or maybe Augusto Sakai, uh, who's sitting there and you know I've, I've said a lot of people could fight him. Uh, but could you imagine Tom Aspinall and uh, tied to Avasa, two guys that are just fucking on a tear, that have this type of like energy, that have all the fandom? Oh my God, that would be a fucking crazy fight. So what's next this weekend? So this Saturday, obviously another fight night card with a more normal time, a 4 p.m. Pacific main card start. But it's another deep card for a free fight night. I, I, I can't, I'm not mad about it, to say the least. Um, a fight that we're not going to talk about that's, that's happening in the prelims, which is an intriguing middleweight fight. And I'm going to murder these names, but Ali Sakab Kuriziv versus Abbas Magomedov. And these guys are early on in their uh, fighting careers, but have really good records. Um, and I don't know a ton about them. That's not why I'm not going to, you know, act like I do and, and talk about it. Um, but when we look at it, oh, whoops, just clicked out of this. When we look at it, Kaziriov, the Black Wolf, is 13 and 0, and Magomedov is making his UFC debut. Uh, but two skilled fighters will be interesting to see what they could bring to the table. And this is why you got to watch the prelims. You got to learn these up and comers. They'll be faces of the, the UFC as long as they keep performing. Regardless, in the prelims, in the flyweight class, a ranked matchup that's high quality. The flyweights get no love. But as a fight fan, you have to tune in. And if you got ESPN Plus, you know, I'm going to be at Supercross on Saturday. Um, I'm probably going to be streaming some shit on my phone. But if I can't watch it, I could come home and watch it. Don't have to worry about commercials or nothing. So you got Methus Nicolau, 29 years old, with a 15-3-1 record and the number 8 next to his name, taking on David the Undertaker, Dvorak, 29 years old, with a 20-3 and record and the number 10 next to his name. Now this is a fun flyweight fight as both fighters are about to enter their prime in a pretty open weight class. This is another fight I'm surprised is so low in the prelims, but the flyweights just don't get the love that they deserve. Now, 
Methuse, he trains out of Jackson's MMA. He's a black belt in BJJ, an Ultimate Fighter Brazil alum, and he's bounced in and out of the UFC. He is on a four-fight winning streak with two of them in the UFC, but against very good competition like Tim Elliott and Manel Kopp. David, he's an orthodox fighter. He's on a 16-fight winning streak with three of them in the UFC. Eight of his 20 wins are via knockout and the other eight by submission. He does have a two and a half reach advantage. And this is a big moment for both fighters. If you want to have a run to the title, right? Uh, Nick, uh, Nikolaus 29, Dvorak's 29. They're about to enter their prime. You take a loss here. You have to build back up your 32, 33 before you know it. So big moment for these fighters. The winner's going to be on their, on their way to the top sooner than later. And I can't wait, but I'm going to take Methus. I'm going to put him on my parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread this weekend. Let's go. And I'm trying to pull up here quickly. Never quickly. Um, I got some dogs for us this week. So we got some good payouts. Let's see who's the favorite in this one. We already got a dog. Mathouse is a dog. That's easy money. Let's go. Let's go. Moving on. We got Sarah McMahon. 41 years old with a 12 and 6 record and the number 9 next to her name taking on Carol Rosa 27 years old with a 15 and 3 record and the number 12 next to her name Now these fighters are definitely in different positions in their career Carol's on a 6 fight winning streak with 4 of them in the UFC and Sarah's on a 1 fight losing streak and has lost 3 of her last 4 fights Five of her 12 wins are via submission, and four of her six losses are also via submission. Uh, but Sarah has definitely fought the better competition. But does she have enough at 41 to get back in the win column? I'm not saying she does. Uh, I'm going to go with Carol Rosa. She is the favorite in this fight. I'm putting her on my parlay. We marking that down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Mark, Bone Crusher, DeCasey. 29 years old with a 14 and 5 record, taking on Vyashlav, the Slav, the Slav Claus, Santa Claus, the Slav Claus, Borshev, 30 years old with a 6 and 1 record. Now, Mark trains out of America top team with a purple belt in BJJ. He is on a two fight losing streak and hasn't won since September of 2019. He did take a big step up in competition and now needs to get back on track. Six of his 14 wins are via knockout, and he has a four-inch reach advantage in this fight. While the Slav Claus, he trains out of Team Alpha Mel. He's a Dana White Contender Series alum. He's on a four-fight winning streak with two of them in the UFC, and he fought in Titan FC and at the LFA, and five of his six wins are via knockout. I'm going to go with the Casey. I've always liked him. He looks like an assassin. I used to say that about... Uh, um, Figueredo as well. This actually got moved to the main card, the start of the main card. Um, it was supposed to be on the prelims. Um, and to Casey's a plus 140 underdog. So that's another dog. And I'm coughing enough. We putting him on that parlay. We marked that shit down and we getting that bread. Moving on. Let's make sure this is, yeah, this is still a prelim. This is the prelim headliner. But the fact that this is a prelim fight really does blow my mind. I mean, Neil Magny just beat freaking uh, Jeff Neal. That was the fight I saw live in Vegas. 
Uh, he's ranked number nine. They're making him on the prelims. Come on. Uh, Neil, the Haitian sensation, Magni, 34 years old, with a 25 and 9 record, and the number nine next to his name, taking on Max Payne Griffin, 36 year old fighter, with an 18 and 8 record. Now, this is another fight that I'm surprised is on the prelims. Again, both fighters are trying to keep momentum towards one last run at a title shot. You know, Neil's 34, Max is 36. Um, Neil fights out of Elevation Fight Team. He's a brown belt in BJJ. He's an Ultimate Fighter alum, and he's on a one-fight winning streak and has won four of his last five. He was 1-1 one one in 2021 with a loss to Michael Chiesa in that new weight class, and he does have a four-inch reach advantage. Now, Max is a first-degree first black belt in kickboxing and bulk foo. Which, if you don't know, that's comp compromised of Kempo Karate, Taekwondo, and Kung Fu. He is an Ultimate Fighter alum. He's on a three-fight winning streak, and nine of his 18 wins are via knockout. Now, this is going to be a this fight's going to be a blast. I think it's going to be a banger. But Neil's going to do you know stick to what works. He's going to be all over Max with that unlimited gas tank that he has. I think he's not going to let Max sit in the pocket and get those big shots landed. I'm sure he leverages his wrestling. For that reason, I'm taking Neil. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that down, and we getting that bread. And I got another dog for you. I got another dog. Is this, a, this is earlier in the prelims. Goddamn, she's plus 340. We got Jennifer Maya, 33 years old, with a 19-8-1 record, and the number four next to her name. We got the number four ranked fighter in a division fighting early in the prelims. Disgrace. Taking on a fucking stud, Manone the Beast Firo, 32-year-old fighter with an 8-1 record and the number 13 next to her name. I mean, this is how deep this card is. Much like the London fight, there's contender, like con title contender quality fighters headlining and early in the prelims. And both of these women are in their prime, 33 and 32 years old. Now, Jennifer, she's got a black, black, uh, background in BJJ and Muay Thai with black belts in both uh, arts. She's an Invicta alum where she was the champion. And she's on a one-fight losing streak and has lost two of the last three, but against the best of the best in the weight class. Manone, she's on an eight-fight winning streak with three of those in the UFC. She has a black belt in karate and a purple belt in BJJ. Six of her eight wins are via knockout, which is very impressive in women's MMA. And she hasn't quite fought the level of competition as Jennifer. And Jennifer is durable. She's scrappy. She finds a way. She could win dirty. I just don't have the confidence that Manone could take this huge leap. Obviously, the UFC has confidence in her. Obviously, Vegas is hammering that minus 450. But we're taking the dog. It's going to be a banger. This is going to be a blast. You know, Jennifer is basically at this point the gatekeeper because she can't beat the people above her. She can't beat the the, the contenders. Um, if Manone can get the dub, she's going to be headed for that uh, uh, title contention. But I'm going with the dog. We're taking Jennifer. We're putting her on our parlay. And we making that fat bread this weekend. You can make an underdog parlay. Let's go. I'll tweet out my parlays this week. Uh, I'm actually going to the casino to make them tonight, which, you know, I usually don't like to make 
uh, parlay bets until after weigh-ins, but, you know, it is what it is. Trying to parlay them with some basketball, so. Now in the main card, we have Elir, the sludge, the sledgehammer Latifi, 38-year-old fighter with a 16-8 and record, taking on Alexi, the boa constrictor, Olenek, 44 years old, with a 59-16-1 and and record. That's some fights, ladies and gentlemen. Now, the big guys always make for interesting fights. I'm assuming that's why this is on the main card. I would just have liked to see others on the main card. Honestly, I think there's higher level of competition. Um, that's just me, but, you know, what the hell do I know, I guess. Anyways, um, Elir, he has a wrestling and boxing background. He trains out of American Top Team. He's on a one-fight winning streak after a three-fight skid, and six of his 15 wins are via knockout. Now, Alexi also trains at ATT. He is a master of sports and combat sambo. He's a fourth-degree black belt in jiu-jitsu and a black belt in BJJ. He has a lot of fights on his resume. He's fought in Bellator. He's got a six-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. And he's on a three-fight losing streak and hasn't won since May of 2020. 46 of his 59 wins are via submission. And nine of his six losses are via knockout. So he's great on the ground for a big guy. And, uh, you know, he's been susceptible to knockout after fucking 50, 60, 76 fights. I'm not surprised that 44 years old, that's fucking insane. Um, but I assume Latifi is going to leverage his wrestling here. He has to be careful with Alexi on the bottom. And he's a submission artist as a heavyweight. But I'm going to go with Elir. I'm going to put him on my parlay. We marking that down and we getting that bread. Moving on. You know, this is a true vet main card stay. It's like, hey, thanks for being a fucking legend in the sport. We're going to put you on the main card. We have Matt, the immortal Brown, 41 years old with a 25 and 18 record, taking on Brian Bam Bam Barbarena, 32 years old with a 16 and 8 record. Now, Matt's another true vet here, and the fighters are in completely different situations as Brian is just now entering his prime. You know, he does have 16-8 and eight record, not a, you know immaculate record. Matt's an orthodox fighter. He has a brown belt in BJJ. He's an ultimate fighter alum. 15 of his 23 wins are via knockout. 10 of his 18 losses are via submission. He's on a one-fight winning streak and went 1-1 one one in 2021. He does have a two and a half inch reach advantage while Brian, he's a blue belt in BJJ. He's on a one fight winning streak. 10 of his 16 wins are via knockout. And he was also one and one last year in 2021. I honestly don't know what to expect here. Matt looked good at 41 with his win over Diego Lima, but I'm going to go with the fighter in his prime looking to string together some wins and desperation you know, have an opportunity to stay on the, the roster and move up. And Barbarena used to train at the MMA lab with Sean O'Malley and the, those cats, and they talk good about him. Um, he has recently changed Jim's uh, to join Jim O. But I'm going to go with the underdogs here. Let's parlay these dogs. I'm taking Brian at... Oh, I guess they're both minus 110. He was an underdog the other day. But I'm taking Brian. That's a nice payout. Putting him on that parlay. We marking them down and we getting that bread.
We getting those dubs, you know what I'm saying? Um, moving on, we got a fucking amazing fight. I mean, high quality fighters here in the flyweight class. We have Askar, the bullet Askarov with a 13-0-1 record. That's no losses, one draw, one no contest with a number two next to his name. Taking on Kai, don't blink, Cara France, 28 years old with a 23-9 record and the number six next to his name. Now, Askar has been atop of the division for a while now. The winner here should get a title shot, um, especially since the Figgy Moreno battle should come to an end in July. Who knows? It's another draw. Then it's like, what the? F Let's just not even put that into existence. Uh, but Askar has a background in wrestling and Sambo. He's undefeated with the draw against Moreno that he had in September of 2019. He has beaten the best of the best in the division besides Figueredo. Seven of his 14 wins are via submission. And Kai, he's an orthodox fighter. He trains out of city kickboxing. He has a blue belt in BJJ. He's an ultimate fighter alum. He's on a two-fight winning streak, both of those happening in 2021. I got to see him piece up Cody Garbrandt live in T-Mobile. 11 of his 23 wins are via knockout. Three of his nine losses are via submission. And he does have a two-inch reach advantage. I don't expect Askar to want a striking war and will look to take France down to grind out a win. It's going to be great to see Askar back in the octagon to see if he's still at that high level. I'm sure he is. Because uh, his last fight was against Joseph Benavidez, which was like right before retirement, so not the best version of Joseph. He's a little older. And the Pantoja fight was in July of 2020, which that's a very high-quality win. But I'm excited to see him back in there. I'm taking Askar. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that down, and we getting that bread. Moving on, we got Joanne Jojo Wood, 35 years old, with a 15-7 and record and the number 7 next to her name, taking on Alexa Grosso, 28 years old, with a 13-3 and record and the number 11 next to her name. Honestly, this fight is as close as it gets for me. You know, Joanne really needs a win here to get things back on track where she needs them to be, especially at 35 years old. When we look at JoJo, she's got a background in Muay Thai. She trains at a syndicate MMA. She has a purple belt in BJJ. She's an Evicta and Ultimate Fighter alum. She's on a two-fight losing streak and has lost three of her last four. But much like some of the other fighters here, this has been against the best of the best in her division. And four of her seven losses are via submission. Now, Alexa, she's moved up to this weight class, so JoJo's going to be naturally quite a bit bigger than her. But she does have a boxing background, really quick fucking hands. Uh, she's a purple belt in BJJ. She's an Evicta alum as well. She's on a two-fight winning streak. And, you know, I'm not confident enough to put this one in my parlay. I've gone back and forth. Uh, Vegas is saying Alexa Grasso's the favorite. Um... I'm going with the smaller, quicker Alexa because I think she's too fast and is going to be too tough to beat on her feet. But I'm not putting this in my parlay. But for the sake of giving you a pick, I'm taking Grosso. What sets us up for the main event? We got Curtis Razor Blades, 31 years old, with a 15-3 and record and the number four next to his name, taking on Chris Dacus, 32 years old, with a 12-4 and record and the number eight next to his name. 
Now, this is going to come down to how well Chris can defend or counter Curtis's wrestling and takedown attempts. I say counter because did Derek Lewis defend it? No, but he landed a shot right as he came in and fucking knocked his lights out. You know, Dawkins has got some serious power as well. Curtis, he trains at an elevation fight team. He's a blue belt in BJJ. He wrestled in the JUCO, uh, like NJCAAs at Harper College where he was a champion. He's on a one-fight winning streak and has won five of his last six. Ten of his 15 wins are via knockout. And three losses are via knockout as well, with two of them being in Ganu. So, you know, the, the, <laughs> the fucking big guy. Uh, Chris is a black belt in BJJ. He's on a one-fight losing streak, which was Derek Lewis as well, which ended his five-fight winning streak. 11 of his 12 wins are via knockout, and three of his four losses are via knockout. So he's going to knock you out or get knocked the fuck out. I don't expect this to go five rounds. It might go three or four. Uh, but I expect Curtis to take him down, grind him out, look for the finish like he always does. And if he can't, maybe grind him out, tire him out, stand up, and then go for the strikes. So I'm taking Curtis, razor, blades. We putting him on that parlay. We marking that down. And we getting that bread. So... That's the fight night card this week. Great card. Some some early fights in the prelims. You can't watch them. You have ESPN Plus. Rewatch them. Um, but next weekend, next Saturday, not this one, but next, there is no UFC. We get a week off, first time uh, in 2022, before a crazy, crazy UFC 273 card, April 9th, headline by Volkanovsky and the Korean Zombie. Going to be fun. Going to be fun. Switching things up to the NBA. Zion Williamson officially not coming back this year. Um, he just posted a video on social media doing a crazy three under the, under the between the legs dunk. Uh, supposedly he's cleared for one-on-one -on -one drills. I think this is just a byproduct where the Pelicans are in the standings. I mean, today we look at it. They're exactly at the 10th spot, two games ahead of the Spurs in the play-in game. Why rush him back when he's been susceptible to being re-injured? He was supposed to come back earlier, re-aggravated it. Just be safe. You know, he's the you know, face of the franchise technically. So uh, I'm assuming that's more what this relies to. Uh, Jamal Murray, like I was saying last week, has no timeline, which is brutal news for the Nuggets. I haven't heard much about MPJ either, Michael Porter Jr. Um, same thing with the Blazers. They're kind of in tank mode. They're under the play-in game. Uh, they have officially ruled Damian Lillard out for the season. I assume if they were in like, you know, heavy playoff standings, that'd be a different case. And then Ben Simmons has no timeline to return. Uh, they're unsure with a herniated disc in his back. Brutal news for Nets fans. will be interesting to see how that shakes out. You know, if they want to try to make a run this year, what the hell's going on? You know, I don't like the James Harden trade, but James Harden's older. Ben Simmons is younger. I just want to see if Ben Simmons could still fucking play in the NBA. I'm sure all of us hoop fans do as well. I'm still pissed off he got rookie of the year over Donovan Mitchell. But we're going to break down another East and West team. We're going to break down the Wizards who are right outside. They're freaking five and a half games outside the play-in, so a non-playoff team. And the Spurs who are two out of the play-in, so potentially a... a mm, I'm going to say they're probably not a play-in team. Anyways... Looking at the Wizards, obviously Bradley Bill in trade rumors as he always is. 
Uh, he's been out after going that left wrist surgery. Other than that, we look at the squad. I mean, <laughs> there's not a lot that jumps out on paper. They have good players, but every team in the NBA has good players. To be a championship caliber team, your top five, six players have to be legitimate all around. Uh, they have Raul Nato, who is their starting point guard. He used to play for the Jazz, so I'm familiar with him. Uh, crafty little Spaniard. He averages 7.9 points per game. Uh, they have Ish Smith um, to back him up and Thomas Sadaransky. All, you know, fundamental basketball players, but nothing that's going to be game-changing, especially in the NBA where the a lot of the top dogs have elite, elite point guards. They have Contavious Caldwell, Pope, KCP. They got him from the Lakers. He's averaging 12.5 points per game, uh, which is up from his numbers on the Lakers because he's forced to score. Uh, but, you know, we all know KCP. He's a good player. He's still under 30 years old at 29, uh, but not, not a game changer. Behind him is Denis Advija. I have no idea if I'm saying his name right, uh, but I have him. Uh, I had him on my fantasy team. Uh, he's a rookie. You know, puts up decent numbers, 7.6 points per game, 5.1 rebounds. Looks like a guy that, that might be, a, you know, a long-term player for the Wizards. They have Corey Kisper and Rui Hichimura out of Gonzaga. Uh, Corey Kispert's averaging 7.7 points per game, which isn't anything mind-boggling, but, you know, he was, this is his rookie year, so can he be too surprised? And Rui had been battling injuries throughout most of the year, uh, but he's averaging 10.2 points per game. Uh, some quality players that I assume they'll keep on the squad. And then they have Kyle Kuzma, who's probably having, a am assuming, one of the better years offensively. He's averaging 17.1 points per game and 8.5 rebounds, which is a lot higher. His sophomore year in the Lakers, 18-19, he averaged 18.7. So that was his best career year. Um, but, he, you know, he he's forced to score, and he's he's doing his thing trying to earn a contract. And then they traded for Kristaps Porzingis, who's averaging 19 points per game um, and 20 games with Was or 20 points per game since he's been with Washington on 7.7 rebounds. So Washington is not super scary. The thing for me is going to see what really what Kristaps can do, what he could grow into, because I didn't think the 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 Mavericks really won trading Kristaps um, away. I felt like they needed that big who could shoot. Um, obviously Chris Stops hasn't turned into the guy that he was pre-injury. Uh, so I'm just interested to see how that plays out because Luca and the Mavericks deserve to win. They need to put a winning roster around him. I just want to see if that was the right move or not. Cause I don't think it was breaking down the Spurs health wise. They're relatively healthy. They have some guys in and out. Um, Doug McDermott got diagnosed with a grade three ankle sprain. So probably sit out the rest of the season. Uh, but he played a lot of minutes for them. He played pretty quality minutes. But the guy that really this team rolls around is uh, Seattle's finest, DeJounte Murray. Uh, what a player. 25 years old, uh, becomes Popovich's number one guy, and has developed this guy into quite the, the hooper. I mean, you look at his numbers, uh, 20.8 points per game, 8.3 rebounds, 9.3 assists, almost triple-double like numbers with a 22 per, which is 16th in the league, um, which last year he averaged 15, 10 the year before, 8 the year before, and 3 the year before. So he has really taken that leap. I'm sure some of the byproduct here is just the level of scorers on this team. Um, 
Their starters are Devin Vassell, Josh Richardson, who has not been the same for a long time, Keldon Johnson, and Jacob Poodle. Uh, Pedal, I can't say his name. Pertle, basically. Uh, they added Zach Collins, who who hasn't really. I thought that would be a good pickup. Hasn't really done a ton. They have Lonnie Walker, uh, Romeo Langford, and Trey Jones off the bench. But none of these guys are putting up crazy like numbers. I mean, we look at Josh Richardson since he's been traded, nine point seven points per game. Uh, Keldon Johnson's still young. He could turn out. Um, damn, is this real? Obviously shows how much I watch the Spurs. Yeah. He's averaging 16.3 points per game and 6.1 rebounds. So he's games played 66. Damn. Kilden's actually putting up some nice numbers. That, that was sneaky. I guess last year, you know, he only averaged 12.8 and he was on my fantasy team and I was a little bit pissed off, uh, but he's hooping. He's shooting 40% from three last year. He's, he shot 33%. So, you know, probably being healthy makes a big advantage. He's forced to do a lot in this lineup. So they got some young pieces, but they're, you know, they're going to be changing. How long is Pop going to be there? I'm not too sure. Uh, he's a good coach, going to coach these young players. And since Zach's been on the team, he's averaging 6.1 points, 4.7 rebounds, so nothing crazy. This guy was supposed to be, you know, a legit NBA player coming out of Gonzaga, and it quite hasn't, you know, hasn't quite turned out that way. I mean, looking at the standings, Miami's atop the East, Milwaukee two games back. The Celtics and Sixers, two and a half back in the 3-4. Bulls, five back. Cleveland, six back. The Raptors in the play-in, seven, uh, a game back from Cleveland. Brooklyn's three back from um, Cleveland for the play-in to avoid the play-in. And I just got uh, noticed here that, um, let's see, just want to confirm this, that the New York City mandate is going to change. So unvaccinated Yankees and Mets player can play, but also Kyrie Irving is going to be able to play in home games and in New York. So the Nets just got a whole lot different. Last week we broke down the Nets and it was like, oh, there's so much, you know, uncertainty. But now Kyrie gets to play. I'm sure the baseball players are definitely happy. Uh, but shit, the Nets should easily be able to, well, let's see how many games there's left. I know we're talking off, off tangent here. Let's see. So the Nets got Grizz, Miami, Charlotte, Bucks, Hawks, Houston, Knicks, Pistons. Yeah, I mean, Brooklyn might sneak in out of that play-in game, which they would play the Sixers round one. Could you imagine Sixers-Nets round one? <laughs> that would be fucking awesome. I feel like the Sixers would try to avoid that. If if, if the Nets were at six, they'd let the Celtics slide into to three. I don't know. But uh, that's going to be interesting. That just got announced literally like right before I got on. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting development for show. Uh, but Toronto, can they climb out, right? Uh, getting their, their team consistently playing. That'll be interesting. In the West, you know, the Suns are number one with or without Chris Paul. The Grizzlies are sitting at the number two spot nine games back. The Warriors are two games back. Steph Curry, though, with the foot ligament. I haven't heard any injury updates. John Morant's been sitting out kind of like just resting because they're locked in at two. And the Jazz are two games back from the Warriors at the three spot. Would love for them to get into the three spot uh, to avoid Luka in round one. And the play-ins, we got Timberwolves. They're a game back from the Nuggets, so they, they've been playing good ball. They could sneak out of the play-in. And then we'd probably have Lakers, Clippers round one in the play-in. And then the Pelicans versus either Nuggets or Timberwolves. So we're getting down to the wire. Going to be fun. 
Let's talk a little bit about some of the games that happened since the last podcast. We're going to step in on Friday because there was nothing that happened on Thursday when March Madness kicked off. The Jazz finally getting back on track. That road trip was brutal. Beating the Clippers 121 to 92. Rudy Gobert with 19 and 16. And Robert Covington 18 and 6 in defeat. The Sixers beating the Mavericks 111 101 in Philly. Uh, the Sixers were obviously led by Joel Embiid, who had 32, 8, 4, and 5 steals. Uh, James Harden playing with 24, 12, and 7. And the Mavericks were led by uh, Jalen Brunson, Nova fucking nation, about to get a payday, 24 points. Luka with an off night, 17 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds. But those 17 uh, points were on 20 shots and was 2 of 10 from 3. That's what I'm saying. The Mavericks team's scary because Luka can do crazy shit. But, I mean, you take Przingis off. You know, obviously Przingis hasn't played that quite that level. But, like, are you really afraid of Finney Smith, Dwight Powell? I love Spencer Dinwiddie with the team and Jalen Brunson. And they don't have much of a bench. I just don't, you know, they're not there yet. They're getting close. But they need to surround him with another guy at least. The Lakers beating the Raptors in Toronto in overtime. You know LeBron, King James with his fingerprints all over. 36-9-7. And, and how about the young buck, Scotty Barnes. 31-17-6. He's trying to make a run for that Rookie of the Year award. Um, Atlanta getting a nice win, even with John Morant in the lineup. Beating the Grizzlies in Atlanta. 120-105. McDonavich getting hot off the bench, 30 points. Let's see if it was an efficient 30 or not. McDonavich, 30 points on 15 shots, 5 of 6 from 3. They're going to need a lot more of that. They shot 46% from 3 as a team. Um, and the Grizzlies were led by John Morant, who had 29 points on 23 shots. Tough night for the Grizz. The Cavaliers beat the Nuggets in Cleveland in overtime. 119-116, a guy that I was really high on in his early years in Cleveland, leading the way for or early years in Chicago, led the way for Cleveland, Laurie Markkinen, 31-10, and and Nikola Jokic, 32-10-8 in defeat. I couldn't imagine putting up those lines and losing. Like, come on. The Suns beating the Bulls in Phoenix, 129-102. DeAndre Ayton, 20-12. Vucevic 16 and 7 in defeat. Moving to Saturday, the Timberwolves, like I said, playing quality basketball. Kick the shit out of the Bucks. 138 to 119. No Giannis, of course. That makes sense. Um, but Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns both over 25. Cat with 25 and 11. And the Bucks led by Chris Middleton, who had 15, 7, and 5 in the defeat without Giannis. So say, how did How'd they give up 138? No Giannis. That makes sense. Uh, the Mavericks lose again to the Hornets in Charlotte, 129-108. Uh, Luka led the way for the Mavs, 37 points. Not a lot of, not a lot of else, not a lot of other stats in the box score, which is rare for Luka. And Miles Bridges leading the way for Charlotte, 23 and eight for the Hornets. Cruising into Sunday. The Jazz beating the Knicks in New York to start a new road trip. They have a six-game road trip. Brutal schedule. Knicks, Nets, Celtics tonight. Uh, actually, they're playing right now. Watch the game after this. 
Um, but the Jazz win 108 to 93. Donovan's from New York. He tends to ball out there. He goes 36, 8, and 6 for the Jazz. And RJ Barrett with 24 and 7 in defeat. And Donovan did that on 21 shots, 7 of 12 from 3. You love to see it. Love to get that three spot. Also on Sunday, the Suns beating the, the Kings in Sacramento in overtime. Devin Booker, 31, 7, and 5. And Davian Mitchell, love this kid out of Baylor, 28 and 9 in defeat. The Celtics stay hot on the road in mile high, beating the Nuggets 124-104. Jason Tatum stays hot, 30 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists. And Nikola Jokic, 23-8 in defeat for the Nuggets. The Raptors really trying to make that climb out of the play-in, beating the Sixers in Philly, 93-88. The Raptors were led by Pascal Siakam, who had 26-10-5. And, and Joel Embiid led the the. Sixers 21 and 13. James Harden even played and they still got the dub. The Spurs upsetting the Curry list Warriors on the road 110 108. Jason Richardson, I was just talking shit about him. Uh, 25 points to lead the way for the Spurs. 25 points on 12 shots, not bad. Um, Jordan Poole leading the Warriors with 28 and Clay Thompson with 24, 6 to 12 from three. Coming in this week into Monday, the Nets beating the Jazz 114-106. You know, six-game road trip, back-to-back games for the Jazz. Tough loss. They cannot defend KD uh, Money Sniper 37-9-8. Donovan with 30 points in defeat. The Lakers beating Cleveland in the land. LeBron dunking on Kevin Love, apologizing afterwards. Leading the Lakers at 38, 10, and 12. Nice triple double for the King. And Darius Garland, 29 and 17 in defeat for the for uh, the Cavaliers. The Sixers beating the Heat in Philly. Tyrese Maxey with 28 points to lead the way for the Sixers. They played without Joel Embiid and James Harden still got the dub. Um looks like the Heat were pretty healthy. Uh the Heat were led by Jimmy Butler. 27, 6, and 5. The Mavericks back on track, beating the Timberwolves 110, 108 at home. Dwight Powell leading the way 22 and 8 for the Mavericks. Cat with 22 and 8 in defeat. Going into Tuesday, the Bucks beating the Bulls in Milwaukee 126, 98. Giannis is back. He goes for 25 and 17. Vucevic with 22 and 7 in defeat. And then today, Wednesday, the Jazz already down 16 fucking points. God damn it. Let's see. Wow. Just wow. 28%. They're already 2 of 7 from 3, 5 of 13 from the field. Pascal's in the starting lineup. Interesting. They've been playing with the lineups, trying to get this deep team ready. Uh, Jalen Brown just smoking them. Sorry, I, I just look at them. Great. Um, but we'll talk more NBA as we get near the playoffs. I really hope the Jazz figure that one out. But the best part of the show, my favorite part, my favorite time of the year besides the Super Bowl, we got some college basketball action. I'll hold myself accountable to my bracket. We'll talk Sweet 16 in advance. Uh, but before we talk bracket, 
The LSU squad is hiring Matt McMahon as their coach as Murray State took an exit. They're stealing Murray State's coach. He's heading over to LSU. Big move for LSU. Looking at the bracket, as expected. Well, let's do it this way. We'll go through the games. We'll go through some box scores. I think that's more fun. Like I said, I'm an analytical guy. I like looking at the stats. I like looking at the box scores. I like going over with you guys how I think of the games. And that's how I do it. It's all about the box scores. So, Gonzaga on Thursday, easily beating Georgia State as expected. Chet Holgram looking good. 19 and 17. I'm sure they had no answer to the long ass mother fricker of Chet Holmgren. Uh, Drew Timmy, 32 and 13. Have a day, sir. Zaga's looking hot early. I got that right on the bracket. Another 116. Kansas beating Texas Southern, 83 to uh, 56. Remy Martin back, looking good. 15 points to lead the way for Kansas. Easy dub. Baylor, obviously, I picked Kansas. Baylor over New Fork State by a lot, 85 to 49. They were led by their big guy, Mayer, uh, Matthew Mayer, 22 and 22 and six for the dub. I picked Baylor. Give me another dub. Those are all 116s. Tennessee beating Longwood, 88 to 56. Viscovi leading the way with 18 and seven. We got that dub. Overtime, the shocker, the St. Peter's. Peacocks, the Peacocks, are you kidding me? In overtime, shocking the world. This is March. This is madness. This is what it's all about. 85 to 79. Are you kidding me? The Peacocks led by Daryl Banks the third. 27 points for the Peacocks. Oscar Tashwebi tried his best. 30 and 16 for the SEC player of the year. Um, but his team shot 26% from three. The Peacocks going 53% from deep. They also had this gentleman, Doug Edder, go for 20 off the bench. Huge win. I'm not too upset. I get that wrong in the bracket, but I assume that some people have them in Final Four Elite Eight, and I didn't. So I'm feeling good at this point. UCLA scraping by against Akron. Uh, Hawkes Jr. with 15, 9, and 6. Got that game right. We got Providence, South Dakota State. This was a hot upset bid. And I was a little nervous. Uh, South Dakota State could shoot the lights out of the gym if they're hot. Well, Providence, the experience, the tenure, it was a difference maker. They beat South Dakota State 66-57. to The Jackrabbits only shoot 30% from three. Providence only shoots 36%. But they're scrappier, bigger bodies. They were able to get the win. Al Durham leads the way 13, eight and six for the, for the Friars. We're looking good there. Uh, Richmond upsetting 12, five happens every year, upsetting a lot of fan favorite Iowa squad. And I was telling everyone Iowa was overrated. The Hawks go down 67 to 53. The spiders stay hot after winning their conference championship, beating Davidson to earn the bracket bid. Um, Keegan Murray with 21 and nine for Iowa and defeat and Jacob Gilliard with, uh, let's see. He's a senior out of Richmond with 24, six and six in the shocker. Iowa's Keegan Murray had 21 points. O of three from three, eight, uh, 21 on 15 shots. Not their day. Obviously picked that wrong, but much like Kentucky, I feel like others probably had him a lot further feeling pretty good. 
Vermont, Arkansas. Vermont was a pretty trendy upset pick. Arkansas escapes 75-71. They were led by uh, Stanley Amudi, who had 21-9 for the Hogs. Move them on. Getting that one right. Another 5-12. I had Indiana. They couldn't do it. They could not score any offense on either game. Uh, St. Mary's smokes them 82-53. Trace Jackson Davis only has 12 points on 10 shots. Uh, St. Mary's was led by Logan Johnson, who had 20, uh, 20 points and 6 rebounds. The St. Mary's moves on. We get, a, we get one wrong there. The game that I thought might be game around one, it delivered. It went to overtime. Murray State squeaks out 92-87. to The guy and the reason I picked uh, San Francisco, Jamari Bouye with 36 points, ladies and gentlemen. 36 points, the senior out of San Francisco, uh, balling. Um, he was 4 of 12. That was on 26 shots. Uh, but Murray State was the better team. Uh, they just had more talent. Uh, Tevin Brown led the way for them, was 17 and 8. When we look at the percentages, no one shot ratherly well, but Murray State uh, comes productive. My upset bid falls short. Another 5 of 12 shocker. The Big East goes down. New Mexico State beats UConn 70-63. to I'm a little pissed off about this one, but this was all Teddy Allen. 37-6 and to beat the Huskies. RJ Cole tried his best with 20 points. Uh, 20 points on 15 shots isn't going to quite get it. Uh, Allen had 37-6 and on 24 shots, 4-7 from 3. New Mexico State shoots 64.7% from 3. Are you kidding me? My Huskies go down. I had them pretty far. That one hurts. I was going for a little Mountain West upset. Doesn't happen. Memphis beats Boise State 64-63. Memphis was led by DeAndre Williams, who had 14-5. And, and Boise's stud, Abu Kijab, with 20 points in defeat. The Mountain West fails again. Speaking of Mountain West failing, Michigan, they don't deserve to be there, or do they? They beat Colorado State, the best of the Mountain West, 75-63. You know Hunter Dickinson's involved, 21-6, and and they are able to slow down the star for Colorado State and make a terrible game for him. Um, Roddy only scores 13 points on 11 shots, one of six from three. I mean... David Roddy averaged 19.2 points per game, 7.5 rebounds. Michigan shuts him down. I'm feeling not that good now. Uh, a game that I went back and forth on, but I picked the right one. North Carolina stays hot. They score 95 points to beat Marquette, 95-63. This one was all about Brady Manick, who had 28-11. For Marquette, their team runs through Justin Lewis, he only has six points on 15 shots. Tough loss, tough exit for Justin Lewis and Marquette. A, a team that I'm not as high on in the Big East finds a way. The Mountain West loses again. San Diego State's up most of the game. Loses to Creighton in overtime, 72-69. to Ryan Kalkbrenner with 16-10 and to lead uh, Creighton. San Diego State was led by... Uh, Chad Baker Mazzara, who had 17 points. Let's see.
Who's the guy that I'm thinking of? Hmm. Anyways, San Diego State lets me down. The Mountain West lets me down. I'll never do it again. Going to Friday. You know, the first round. It's wild. We already got the Peacocks. Going into Friday. Can it match? Villanova easily handling Delaware. Nova Nation, baby. Feeling good. Uh, they're led by Justin Moore. He can hoop. 21-6. and six. Um, 116, Arizona handles Wright State. Uh, the big man, Coloco, 17, 13, and 6 as Arizona moves on. We're 2 and 0 on the day. Auburn, whooping Jacksonville State. Jabari Smith, 20 and 14, looking good. Duke beats Cal State Fullerton. Uh, they're led by Mark Williams, who has 15 and 7. This is my champion pick. I need him to look good. I'm all about Paolo Banchero. He has a good game. We're starting the day looking good here. I'll just pull up. Paolo had 17 and 10 on 14 shots. Not amazing, but they get the dub. Purdue beats Yale. We're looking good. Zach Eady, 16 and 9 for the for the Boilermakers. We already know the Bobcats are going to lose, right? Texas Tech sweeps them out the gym. Texas Tech is led by Terrence Shannon Jr., who has 20 and 6. Uh, the Red Raiders move on. We're looking good. Wisconsin scares the shit out of me. I have them in the sweet six, maybe even the lead eight. Uh, they beat Colgate 67 to 60. Johnny Davis wins this game by himself, 25 and eight. Uh, he had a work though. He had 25 on 20 shots. Um, but the, uh, Nelly Cummings for Colgate, bravo, kind sir, uh, 26 and six in defeat. Um, Houston, easy 5-12 victory here. Uh, so we're looking good. They're led by Kyler Edwards, who has 25.7 rebounds. Illinois scares people. A very trendy 413. People were talking Chattanooga up. Well, I figured Kofi Coburn could get the dub. Well, he does go for 17 and 13. They 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 squeeze on by to the second round. Miami upsets USC. This is a, a one game I had no idea who to pick. I went with USC. Isaiah Wong said, nah, bro. He puts up 22 points. Miami moves on. We get that game wrong. Not too worried about it. Texas burned me so bad. I picked Virginia Tech. Um, I did think they were better, but they weren't. Uh, Texas somehow finds a way to score 81 fucking points. Uh, so I get this game wrong. I'm not too worried. But let's look. When was the last time they scored 81 fucking points? They scored 82 against West Virginia. And the... The only other time all season they score that much is against UT Rio Grande Valley in December and Houston Baptist to start the year. And they put that up. They shoot 52% from three. Are you kidding me? And their best shooter, Andrew Jones, with 21 points. Texas moves on. One of the very good games wasn't quite as good. I thought this would be one of the better games around one. Ohio State beats Loyola Chicago 54-41. to uh, sister Jean and, um, the Ramblers shot 28, uh, point 28% from three. That's not going to do it. Ohio state shot 6.7, 6.7% from three and still found a way to win. Uh, Branham with 14 points, EJ Liddell, 16 and nine. I mean, it's had to have been turnovers, right? Well, they both turned the ball over quite a bit. That's wild. Under double digits from three and still find a way to win. Sheesh. 
Um, I, I knew Notre Dame or uh, Rutgers, I thought it would be Rutgers, would beat Alabama, and it came to fruition. Business of buckets. Alabama was overrated all year. We tried telling y'all. Uh, Notre Dame wins 78-64. They were led by, let's see, what was this guy's first name? Cormac Ryan, who had 29-6, or 29-6, 7 of 9 from 3. Javon Quinterly only plays 3 minutes. Um, so, you know, that definitely played a part. Uh, Shackleford with 13 points on 10 shots. They shoot 33% from three, while Notre Dame shoots 62.5%. That's the difference. Feeling good here. Uh, a game I went back and forth on. Um, I get the, I take the L here. Iowa State beats LSU 59-54. to um, Iowa State was led by... Their freshman, Tyrese Hunter, have a day. He goes for 23 points. Isaiah Brockington has 19 on 16 shots, but Hunter fills in the gap. Tari Eason, local Seattle, 18 points off the bench for LSU in the defeat. Michigan State makes it interesting. They escape Davidson, 74-73. They're led by uh, Joey Hauser, who had 27-8 and for the Spartans. We're looking good. I figured Seton Hall would take the L here. They got blown out the gym. TCU in a 9-8 matchup beats Seton Hall 69-42. And this one is all about uh, the stud guard, Mike Miles, who has 21-4 as TCU advances. Moving into Saturday, I'm still just having a sports day. Twitter on refresh, right? Watching the sports, watching free agency. What a fucking weekend it was. One for the books. So moving to round two on Saturday, Gonzaga beats Memphis. Close game. Drew Timmy puts the team on his back. 24 and 14, Gonzaga moves on. That's good for the bracket. I probably could have used a Memphis win because more people has Gonzaga further than me. Uh, Kansas, 79-72 over Creighton. Uh, a lot closer than I thought it would be. And a, a big reason was Arthur Kaluma puts up 24 and 12. But Remy Martin leads Kansas again, 20 points, 7 rebounds, 4 assists, rock chalk. A shocker here. I thought Baylor could do enough to win this game before they got beat. But North Carolina wins in overtime. What a crazy comeback it was. It was 42-29 Tar Heels after one. Baylor puts up 51 to tie it. They lose in overtime, 93-86. to R.J. Davis. Are you kidding me, this guy? RJ Davis snaps people's dreams, 30 points, 5 of 10 from 3, uh, 30 points on 17 shots. Manic gets a flagrant foul. It was total bullshit, but he put up 26 points in 28 minutes uh, compared to RJ's 45 minutes. Um, Akeem Joe tried his best, 20 points, but on 20 shots. Adam Flager with 27 points on 25 shots. Not a great efficiency day from Baylor. That hurts the bracket a little bit. Michigan, they weren't supposed to be here. Or were they? They upset Tennessee, the third-ranked overall team. Guess who? Hunter Dickinson, 27-11. For Tennessee, Kennedy Chandler tried his best, 19-9. Michigan moves on. They're about to get smoked tomorrow, baby. Uh, but they move on. That hurts the bracket a little bit. UCLA beats St. Mary's. Um, Hawkes gets hurt. We'll see if he can play this weekend. It's going to make things interesting. But Jules Bernard with 14 points to lead UCLA. Brackets looking okay. Providence beats Richmond handily. Let's go. We got them in the final four. Uh, Providence as a team looks pretty good here. 
They shoot 54% from three, a lot better than game one. Richmond goes one for 22 from three, shooting 4.5% from three. Uh, Providence has four of their five starters over double digits. And Noah Harkler leads the way with 18 po- or 16 points and 14 rebounds. Arkansas ends the run that New Mexico State has in a close game, 53-48. to 48. Um, Arkansas is led by Jalen Williams, who has 10 and 15 for the Hogs. They're moving on. Brackets looking good. St. Peter's, the Peacocks are still alive. Their wings are flourishing. They beat Murray State 70 to 60 and the world can't believe it. This reminds me a lot of Florida Gulf Coast, the, you know, the classic underdog, the Cinderella. This is what March is all about. They're led by um Casey and Defu who had 17 points, 10 rebounds. Murray State shot 33% from 3, uh four of their five starters over double digits, but it wasn't enough. The Peacocks live to see another day. You already know Nova Nation is going to take down the Big Ten. They beat Ohio State pretty handily. Uh love seeing Jalen Samuels have a good game. 17.8 rebounds. Mikael Branham tried his best with 23 points. But Nova moves on to the Sweet 16. Arizona, what a wild fucking game in overtime. It looked like TCU has it the whole way. Uh, there were some sketchy calls. It is what it is. Arizona finds their way to the Sweet 16. Uh, Coloco with 28 and 12. Um, but goddamn, you got to give credit to Eddie Lampkin. He was all over. The hustle from TCU blew my mind. He had 20 and 14 in defeat. Miami shocks the world, beating Auburn. I had them losing next round. I don't feel too bad about it. Jabari Smith only with 10 points, 15 rebounds, uh, 10 points on 16 shots. Um, Isaiah Wong with 20 points to uh, for for Miami. And Cameron McGusty, the senior guard, with 20 and 6 to lead the way. Miami moves on. You know, at this point, let there be chaos. My bracket's still doing good. Scary moment for my champion, Duke. Close game against Michigan State. They find a way to to get out of it. Um, Michigan State is led by Marcus Bingham Jr., who had 16 and 10. Paolo Banchero with 19 and 7 on 14 shots. Not the efficiency that you're looking for, but four of five starters, double digits. The Duke squad moves on. Coach K's last run is still alive. Purdue beats Texas. I'm not too shocked about that. Travion Williams with 22 and uh, 7 to lead the way for Purdue. Uh, but Texas, you know, played their hearts out. They were led by Marcus Carr, who had 23 and 7. Brackets looking good. Texas Tech ends Notre Dame's run 59-53 in a close-fought battle. Uh, Texas Tech and the Red Raiders are led by Kevin O'Banner, who had 15-15. and Uh, We're looking good on the bracket. Iowa State shocks Wisconsin. This one hurts the bracket. Uh, Wisconsin's a very, you know, two-player heavy squad. Johnny Davis goes 17 points on 16 shots, 0 of 7 from 3. Uh, Davidson has 12 points on four shots. They shoot 9.1% from three. Iowa finds a way to win, and they have a different player this time. They have senior Gabe Kalsher lead the way, 22 points for Iowa State. Wisconsin drops early. Fun 5-4 battle here, but uh, Kofi Goburn, 19-8 and in defeat. Houston gets the win. Taysmore, 21-7 and 
they move on to the Sweet 16. What a first weekend. The freaking Peacocks. Are you kidding me? Um, early tomorrow, 429, Villanova taking on Michigan. Obviously, you know, you know, I've been saying this whole time I'm pissed Michigan even got in. Let's let Villanova end this shit, right? Let's let them end it. Let's go to the Elite Eight. Easy money. Let's go. I do think Villanova wins here. Hunter Dickinson's going to be a problem. Uh, but Villanova's too well-rounded. They're favored by five points. I'm, I think they'll cover. Gonzaga, Arkansas, early uh, tomorrow as well. Early afternoon, evening, wherever you're based out of. Gonzaga's favored by nine and a half. I'm taking them to cover. This one should be easy. Duke, Texas Tech. This one will be a motherfucker. Texas Tech favored by one. I'll take Duke. Um, uh, this is offense versus defense. This is going to be a scrappy one. I think Paolo, AJ, hopefully is healthy. Uh, they're able to, to get the job done. I'm going with Duke here. And these are the three teams that I picked at this point in the bracket anyways. Arizona versus Houston. This is the matchup I had in the bracket. The only team I did not have in the, uh, on tomorrow's game is the 11th place Michigan. I have Arizona beating Houston. This is going to be the better game of the day. In my opinion, Arizona's favored by a point and a half. I'm going to take Arizona as the favorite. These are two teams that I've been talking about being overrated. I hate that they were on the same side. They don't get to face other teams. It is what it is. I think Mathurin, Ben Mathurin, Benedict Mathurin, whatever you want to call him, I think he's going to get the job done. Going into Friday, the Peacocks take on Purdue. As much as I'd love to see the Peacocks doing this, I have Purdue in the Final Four. I cannot afford it. Purdue's favored by 12 and a half. I think they find a way to make this ugly. I'm not taking them to cover, but I'm taking Purdue. Kansas and Providence. What a game this will be. I, you know, this is where I had Kansas losing. I did not think Remy Martin would be playing such high quality basketball. Kansas is favored by seven and a half. Obviously, I picked per Providence in the bracket. I'm sticking with that. But in my parlay, I'm going to put uh, Providence in the plus seven and a half versus straight up. UCLA, North Carolina. North Carolina's hot. They're scoring at a very high clip. Uh, Hawkes might be hurt for UCLA. That makes things interesting. Um, UCLA is favored by two and a half. Ooh. I don't know what I'm going to do on a betting standpoint now that I know that this is the matchup. Obviously, I had UCLA advancing, but not against North Carolina. I had them against Baylor. Oh, yeah. I'm going to take UCLA to, to cover. Uh, actually, I want it if I'm a betting man, but I am taking UCLA to move on. I'm just, I'm sticking with it. And then this game, number 10th ranked Miami, number 11th Ohio State, Miami favored by two and a half. On my parlay, I'm going to put Miami. I never, I had neither of these teams in the bracket. I mean, where are these guys in the bracket? I had USC taking on Auburn and Auburn winning this game and then losing to Wisconsin. So yeah, my bracket's all fucked up in that bottom section. I want chaos. I don't really care, but I'm going to bet on Miami, which would set us up uh, with Miami versus Providence. I'd be taking Providence in that game in the Elite Eight, which would hypothetically set up Villanova, Arizona. What a game. I'm taking Villanova more well-rounded. I've been telling you about Arizona being overrated, sticking to my guns, which would then set us up with Gonzaga versus Duke. I'm taking Duke. They beat them earlier. They showed up in the big moments. I think they will. There's just so much going on. Coach K's last run, that'll be a dandy. 
um, which would then set us up with UCLA versus Purdue. I'm taking Purdue. You know, let's say UCLA does lose to North Carolina. I'm not too upset. I think, I don't know, North Carolina, that's a bad matchup for Purdue. But ideally, Purdue just comes out of here, cleans my bracket up anyways. Um, So that's what it's going to set up. Then we could talk hypothetical Final Four next podcast. But sheesh, do we got a fun tournament. The Peacocks are flying. Let's talk Supercross. Boy, does the drama continue in the 450, man. Um, Justin Barsha takes out Jason Anderson clearly on purpose, and I'm sending it. I don't give a ish. Well, they give him a three-point penalty and a $3,000 fine for the move, but I'm not mad about it. His nickname's Bam Bam for a reason. In the 250, it was all jet again. He gets the whole shot. He gets the victory. The 250, it's a little easier to predict, right? Uh, Jet Lawrence gets first, Cameron McAdoo second, RJ Hampshire number three. Surprise, surprise. That puts point leader uh, Hunter Lawrence at 125, McAdoo 11 points back in second at 114, Pierce Brown third, way back at 87, and RJ Hampshire six back and forth at 81. So it's a battle of one, two, three, four in the East Riders here. Now, Anderson all season has been a part of a lot of wrecks, but this is classic Bam Bam. I was really impressed to see Webb and Sexton after that wreck last week out here racing well. The race finished with Tomac first, no surprise. Barsha second, Muscan third on the podium. Chase Sexton just shy of the podium at fourth. Cooper Webb fifth, Anderson sixth, Dean Wilson seven, Malcolm Stewart with a tough finish in eight, and Vince Friese in ninth. So obviously Tomac's way ahead in first in the points. Anderson is tied with Barsha for second at 204. Uh, Malcolm Stewart in fourth, two points back at 202. And Cooper Webb within striking distance in fifth at 191. Round 12 of 17 this weekend in Seattle. I'll be there. Um, Looking at the weather, though, I've seen race events here in Seattle. It does rain. Where it rains, you can't triple. They're just riding over the jumps. They're not actually hitting the course the way it should. It's supposed to be cloudy Thursday and Friday with an occasional rain shower on Saturday. So fingers crossed. I like being at the event when they do hit the triples, when they do go big. Hopefully it's not a a, a muddy shit show. But that could be some dramatic stuff, right? Bam, bam, Anderson going at it, Malcolm Stewart. That's really the drama that's left in the season. Tomac's cruising to victory here. In baseball, to wrap up the show, free agency is pretty much over. Unlike football, most of the big names are signed. Uh, But how about the MLB creating a DH rule, basically an Otani rule, that when the starting pitcher is pulled as a pitcher, they're not pulled as a batter. They can finish the game as a batter. Let's go, Angels. That is great fucking news. Uh, Not great news for me as a baseball fan. They are keeping the ghost runners and, and extra innings. I don't like that. I think that is not baseball, but the whole idea is to speed the game up, yada, yada. It is what it is. Trevor Story, one of the last big names, signs with the Red Sox, a shocker there, six-year, $140 million deal. Um, Washington um, agrees to officially retire Ryan Zimmerman's number. Uh, He's the OG from the new franchise. I love it. I loved Ryan Zimmerman when I started fantasy baseball on MLB.com. He was one of my first picks, so it brings back good memories here. Ryan McMahon signed six-year, $70 million deal with the Rockies. Matt Chapman obviously got traded, but he signs a two-year, $25 million extension. 
The Dodgers signed Kevin Pilar, and the Mariners signed Sergio Romo to a $2 million deal to add some bullpen depth. Outside of that, Phil Mickelson misses the Masters for the first time since 1994, basically in my whole lifetime, which is crazy. And um, right now is the weather window for the Todrillo Lodge event for the natural selection. It will air on Red Bull TV mid-April. If it was anything like it was last year, the fucking production, the drones, there's, there's everything that they do is so world-class. The bald face uh, event that aired last week was amazing. If you haven't watched it, check it out. And if you need some subs, some supplements, fueledsupplements.com. Promotion code buckets. Save some money. See you guys next week. Let's go Nova.